Hello and welcome to Contact High. Today's episode is a Shabbat replay of our Friday night service on August 11th. Rabbi Stephen droshed on a moral conundrum which hits extremely close to home, the efforts to build a shelter for 500 refugees in his neighborhood. We can't wait for the world to come to erase injustice. We have to start building a more just world right now. And you don't have to wait for Mishkan's high holidays tickets. They are on sale now. Today, Monday, August 14th. Check out the link in bio for scheduling, venue information, and pricing. Now, take it away, Rabbi. So I live at the edge of Lakeview East in Buena Park. Some of you might know the division, right, the dividing line of Irving Park Road, right across the street from the American Islamic College. The AIC is a small private university housed in what was once the Immaculata High School, a historically landmark building that was recently slated for development as a mixed-use space for apartments and a senior living facility. If you've ever driven to Lakeshore Drive, it's that kind of like red tile roof building at Irving Park and the lake. There have been some worries among people in my building about how 437 new units will affect traffic in the area, and any of you who has come to grab coffee with me knows how hard it is to find parking in that neighborhood. And like many developments, there's been a push and pull about the possibility of this new development between those who are excited about much-needed housing in the area and those who are opposed to bringing more people to a very, very congested part of town. But then a few weeks ago, everyone in my building received word from our altar person that this development had been put on pause indefinitely. Instead, the building would now be a temporary migrant shelter for between 500 to 600 asylum seekers with the Department of Family and Support Services providing meals and medical services and case management, and people in my building were upset. Where they'd been invited to join the conversation about the proposed development, this change in plans had already been decided well before it was shared with folks in the area. And so people began asking questions. Why them? And why here? And how long? And is there anywhere else they can go? And why does this have to happen in my neighborhood? And before I go into vilifying those who ask those questions, I have to say I kind of get it. This not-in-my-backyard impulse for as much as I care about fixing the brokenness that exists all around us, I also like being able to step away from it to exist if only for a moment in my safe and comfortable and worry-free corner of the world. It is an incredible, an incredible privilege to be able to do that, and one that so many people don't have access to, people like those now living across the street from me. So while these are understandable questions, the why them and why here and how long, we also know that they are fundamentally selfish ones. For really the question that we should be asking 
the question that comes from our inherent empathy and our tradition's inclination towards justice is why is this happening at all? In our reading this week, the Torah proposes a world where quick and sudden fixes, fixes, like temporary shelters and the services they provide are no longer needed. There will be no needy. There will be no needy among you since God will bless you in the land that God has given you to inhabit. It is important to understand that the Torah is not talking in this verse about the world as it could be, but the world as it is right now. One that already has enough resources to provide for the basic needs of every single person alive today. If only they were distributed responsibly and equitably, we are already in the land that God has given us to inhabit this world, and we are blessed with incredible abundance. The medieval commentator Rashi points out that the word evyon, often translated in this verse as needy, has a very particular valence to it. This is not just someone who has less. We have another word for that, oni. But related to the word for longing is someone who wants for everything. Food and shelter and safety and community. A someone not unlike the asylum seekers being housed across the street from my apartment. It is so hard, I imagine, for most of us, and thank God for this, it is so hard for most of us to understand the desperation that would compel someone to leave their home with the hope that somewhere else, anywhere else, is better than where they are right now. So often I find that the discourse around migrants talks about their choice to flee their communities of origin in the same way we might speak about someone traveling for work or pleasure. But the reality is that this choice, if we can call it one, is compelled by necessity. The British Somali poet Warsan Shire wrote in her poem, Home, you have to understand that no one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. No one burns their palms under trains beneath carriages. No one spends days and nights in the stomach of a truck feeding on newspaper unless the miles traveled means something more than the journey. No one crawls under fences. No one wants to be beaten, pitied. No one chooses refugee camps or strip searches where your body is left aching or prison because prison is safer than a city of fire. Our tradition demands in these verses and throughout the entire Torah, our entire compiled rabbinic works, a world where the experience of the refugee is a memory, not a present reality. I think that for so many of us, myself included, this not-in-my-backyard impulse comes from a place of justice fatigue. I know that this is a community of people who give of their time and resources generously, who truly care about making this world a better place. I believe that about every single one of you in this space. And it makes me very proud to be a rabbi in this community. And so when another crisis presents itself, 
I get the inclination to throw your hands up in the air and say, well, I pay my taxes and I vote and I give tzedakah. I go to protests and I volunteer. I make conscious choices every single day to try and heal the world, even if just a little. How could it possibly be my responsibility to take on yet another cause, yet another crisis? Even though I feel for these people, even though I wish this wasn't the reality of their situation. But it is precisely this mindset, this fatigue, that leads the Torah to say just a few verses later, Ki vecha evyon me'echad achicha, be'echad she'erecha, be'artzecha. When, when there is needy among you, perhaps one of your kin, or simply somebody existing within your community, in the land that God has given you to inhabit, do not harden your heart, but open your hand and give whatever is sufficient to meet their need. So wait a second. Didn't the Torah just say a few lines above that there would be no needy? And then just a handful of verses later, the Torah states, There will never cease to be needy in your land, which is why I, that is God, am commanding you, commanding you, open your hand to your kin, to the poor, to the most desperate among you. The rabbis, of course, are perplexed by the contradiction between these statements. These happen within like eight lines of Torah, right? There will be no needy. If there are needy, there will never not be needy among you. But among the commentary offered about these verses, I found one given by the medieval rabbi Hezekiah ben Manoah to be the most helpful. In our first verse, the Torah shows us the world as it is, capable of providing for all of its inhabitants. And in the following verses, the Torah illustrates the world as we have made it, where resources are hoarded, where systems are created that privilege the few over the many, where the abundance that we have been blessed with is distributed unequally according to race and gender and class and status or simply where you are born. And while we, we, may not have been the architects of the world as it is, we have helped build it. Consciously, unconsciously, in ways that we understand, in ways that we are just beginning to understand. As much as I dislike saying it, we are complicit. I am complicit along with all of you. We didn't ask to be but we are. So one of my undergraduate degrees was in international relations. This was my practical major alongside fine arts. The first semester of my freshman year, every IR student took an introductory seminar. One of those classes where about 150 of us were packed into an auditorium where you think you can get away with not doing the reading until you discover about a week in that the professor has a very uncanny ability to cold call you by name. So for our first class, we had a series of academic articles assigned. One on the working conditions of sweatshops in Southeast Asia. One on intertribal conflict fueled by exploitative mining in the Congo. One on the legacy of puppet governments and natural resource management in South America. One on import and export tariffs in the European Union. And one on whether American intellectual property law could be enforced internationally. And so it's our first seminar. The teacher lectures a little bit on each article and shows us how we might eventually apply what we will learn as IR students. And then at the end of class, 
He explained that lest we ever think, lest we ever think that our lives are divorced from any conflict or any issue occurring on any corner of the globe, we only have to look in our pockets. Because each of the articles that we read, from Asia to Europe to South America, are fueled in part by the manufacturing and distribution of parts needed for our cell phones. Every single one of those conflicts. Our lives, whether we like it or not, are part of a global system where the comfort and privilege that I enjoy in my high-rise apartment is implicated by and inextricably linked to the desperation and pain experienced by the asylum seekers taking refuge across the street from me, just 10, 20, 30 feet away. Unless we think that we are immune to falling victim to a system that values the lives of some over the lives of others, we as a community, as a people, only have to look back a generation. In 1939, the MS St. Louis left Nazi Germany with over 900 Jews seeking to escape what we now know what would be deadly, deadly persecution. The refugees first tried to disembark in Cuba, but were denied entry. The captain then turned to the United States, this country, and Canada, who also refused to accept them. Upon returning to Europe, the UK took 288 of the refugees, but denied entry to the rest. And so the remaining 619 disembarked in the Netherlands, of which 254 were murdered in the death camps. Regardless of how we have come into the space and regardless of how we have come into this country, most of us here are here today because someone made the decision to allow our ancestors to stay. And because we are part of this system and because our history teaches us the deadly consequences of this system, we are responsible for helping fix it. We have been given an amazing opportunity, a world which actually contains the resources necessary for equity and justice. As this week's tour portion begins, I have placed before you a blessing and a curse. It's up to us to choose which to bring into being. So in a justice-inclined community such as this, I imagine some of you are asking, well, it's a lot. This is a lot. This is a lot of work to do. Don't don't I get a break? Do I, like, do I ever actually get to step away for a moment and just check out? You do. It's called Shabbat. Our tradition recognizes that that safe, comfortable, worry-free corner of the world that I mentioned earlier is something that we actually fundamentally need. Not to retreat from our responsibility or forget about the brokenness that exists around us, but to allow us a moment to rest and recover and reconnect so that we can re-engage with this work with renewed energy and resolve. This institution of Shabbat is not only a holy one, it is a necessary one. Our being here, outside, singing together, breathing the summer air, with dinner following over at Don Pedro after services, I believe there's some spots still open, talk to the people at the back if you want a ticket. <laughs> Taking a full day to bask in the bounty of a world helps us remember that that abundance is already there. It always has been for us and for everyone. This isn't just conceptual. This isn't just something we study and need to understand, but something that we need to feel, that we should allow ourselves to have it sink in, 
to give ourselves a full day of Efes Kilohi He Lecha Evyon, a full day of there being no needy among you, so that we can act from a place of knowing, of knowing that what we're doing, whatever small action we take, whatever small step towards justice we might attempt, isn't futile. It isn't naive. It's based in the reality of our experience here today. And it matters. And it makes a difference. And then when Shabbat is over, in about 25, 26 hours, we can get back to the work. We have a group of Mishkanites who are working on assisting migrants who are housed in both police stations and temporary shelters across the city. I know Frank Klein, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to raise your hand. I think Joanna's also here. Is Joanna here? Yeah, and Joanna's over there. Awesome. Do we have any other migrant action folks in the room? Okay. Those two. Talk to them. Talk to them. They are doing amazing things to mobilize the resources and the passion of this community to make those small changes, to make a difference in people's lives. I hope you'll join them however you're able and being part of the movement to bring the world that is possible into being. We already have the tools and the resources for change. It's simply up to us to make that choice. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Replay is a production of Mishkan Chicago. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kalman Strauss. You can always see where and when our next service will be on our calendar. There's a link in the show notes. And if you appreciated the program, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I know you've heard it before, but it really does help. On behalf of Team Mishkan, thank you for listening. <laughs>